You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Well, there's a lot of things I really, really, really want to move forward to, but we do have this sort of two-week hiatus, and so I don't want to just unload the whole bag. So let's just start, first of all, with... um, what we usually do and, and recap what happened in the Packer game using a little bit more insights as far as grades and statistics via PFF. And we'll see how much time we have, if we have any, after that. Before we get there, though, I do want to say thank you very much to Mr. Jeff Nelson. Thank you very much for upping your pledge. Really, really greatly appreciate that. If you want to support this here podcast, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. All right. So just right out of the gate, the grades were not phenomenal. Again, it, it, it doesn't really matter that much. I'm not going to freak out about it. If, if this was, you know, week five or something, be like, oh, you know, whatever, ho-hum, especially, obviously, if we lost the game, because it has more to do with, uh, there, there's just more things that matter other than, the, you know, the, the grades. is the snap counts, what it is you excelled at, and, of course, special teams. And I, I want to I touch on that real quick before we get into the grades and stuff, because I, I, I'm noticing something with a portion of the fan base. And I generally don't like it when people do the whole, the same people who say this, say this. You don't know that it's the same people. They literally could be exact opposite people. However, I'm noticing two very strong voices that don't seem to really interact well. In other words, they conflict. Number one is disgust and disdain for the special teams and the fact that the Packers aren't doing enough to fix the special teams and shame on them for not doing everything to fix special teams. That's number one, and we all kind of agree with that one. Number two is, everybody that we keep on the 53-man roster, I couldn't give a you-know-what about special teams. I care about their offensive and defensive um, contributions. For example, who does the fan base want to keep, Samori Ture or Jawan Winfrey? In fact, as I ask these questions, I'm going to put a poll out there, and we'll see what the results are of the poll at the end of the podcast if I remember to do it. Winfrey or Ture? I'm guessing 90% of the fan base wants Turay. Roughly. I don't know. I just posted the, the poll. We'll see what it ends up with. How many people want to keep Samori Turay because he's a better special teams contributor? Zero. Zero. They want to keep him as a seventh or eighth wide receiver because of his ability as a special teamer. And I'm not you know, necessarily saying that's a bad thing, but... People seem to get upset when I say, I think they're going to keep this guy because of special teams, even when the head coach flat out said, we're going to keep these guys because of special teams contributions. Let me ask you another one. Tyler Goodson or Patrick Taylor? I don't really know what the percentage is. It's probably not as much, but I would guess it's extremely high for Tyler Goodson. And yes, he did return kicks, and I'm sure some people will try to lie and be like, oh, no, no, it's because I think it'd be a good return. No, he's a better runner. 
is why the fan base wants to keep him. I'll even take one on the chin here. Tyler Davis or, I don't know, anybody else in the world. I'd say Dominique Daphne, but I don't know that Dominique Daphne wasn't a better special teamer, and also he's not on the team right now. Plus, you know, if you say, I don't know, I don't know who else to put him with. But the point is, the Packers have pointed out that they like Tyler Davis as a, I think they like him as an offensive guy too, but that one's a little more difficult to do because there isn't a guy that everybody really likes over Tyler Davis. But my, my personal frustration with him was his offensive contributions. And I completely disregarded the fact that he actually does grade out fairly well as a special teamer, and the Packers like him as a special teamer. Not just that, but at least for right now, that's what he's doing. And then there's a big one, and the reason this stuck out is because I had pointed this out on, on Twitter. I said, man, Ty Summers graded out really well again, and he had the most snaps on special teams. I'm starting to think that he's actually going to make the roster. And the little interaction I got was basically nonsense. There's no way in the world, which was my stance too, until I looked at the stats and the grades and it saw that he was a very prominent special teams contributor. But why is everybody saying McDuffie over Summers? It has nothing to do with special teams. It's entirely because of defense. And so far, I was way off about Ture and Winfrey. 50% of the fan base wants Winfrey right now. <laughs> that is shocking to me. See, now I, now I got to ask everybody why. Because if they say special teams, then I, I, guess, I guess I was way off. But I doubt it. I would assume it has more to do with the offense and Rodgers likes him more, et cetera, et cetera. But still surprised by that. Anyways, the point is, you got to pick one. You can't say, I want Tyler Goodson over Patrick Taylor and I want McDuffie over Summers, and I want uh, Ture over Winfrey, and I want all these guys because of their contributions on offense and defense. And also, by the way, fix the special teams, will you, you bunch of losers? The point is, I think that's what they're trying to do, and so then we should probably believe them when they say the number three running back spot is going to be the best special teams guy. The backup linebackers, maybe not all of them, but at least the number four is going to be to the better special teamer. If we keep an extra wide receiver, he's probably going to be a special teamer. Corners and safeties going to be heavily weighted towards special teams contributors. We're up to 60% to race. And now, now, we're, now we're picking up some steam. Tyler Goodson, 77%. That's even higher. McDuffie, 94%. <laughs> Nobody likes Summers. And I get it. I said the same thing like three days ago. Summers has no path to this roster. He doesn't serve any purpose. He's 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 just he's gone. Get him out of here. It's over. It's it's lights out. And maybe he is. I don't know. But I'm just saying, if we're just looking at defense, it's all McDuffie and Summers is off the team. If you look at special teams, it certainly seems to be Summers. They're not even giving McDuffie really opportunities on special teams, which is the the biggest negative. So I don't know. Maybe maybe they keep five linebackers i don't i have no idea what they're gonna do but again the general point is pick a lane do you want to improve special teams and keep special teamers or should we not care about special teams and our backups to our backups should be focused solely on fixing the offense and defense even if they just sit there on their butt on the bench the whole day another guy to keep an eye on is kb ento as far as his contributions in the secondary i don't know that i've heard his name like hardly at all but he is our highest graded special teamer right now. So maybe go ahead and put that one down in pen. Or don't. I don't know. I'm I'm just I'm just I'm just saying. And it, it's it's not even a matter of what the Packers will do. It's just it's just orienting our mind properly. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? It's sort of a head and heart thing for me. My heart says Ture, Goodson, McDuffie. My head says Summers, 
Winfrey Taylor. Anyways, let's uh, let's get into this. And by the way, because um, I know the Jordan Love thing is going to annoy some people, let me let me give you some good news. Lowest graded passer out of the eleven quarterbacks that played um, on Thursday, Trey Lance. So we can all just rejoice, man. That's it. Just be happy. Of all the eleven quarterbacks, only two of them were starters. Pat Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers did not play. Davis Mills and Trey Lance did. Davis Mills had a 63 overall grade. Trey Lance, 47.5 overall passing grade. Now, his overall grade, I mean, he was ninth out of 11, you know, because, I don't know, <laughs> he did some other stuff kind of well. But uh, look out, world, here comes Trey Lance. 7 of 11 for 49 yards, 4.5 yards per attempt. Jordan Love was dinking and dunking his way down the field, and even he had 5.7 yards per attempt. His time to throw was 3.25 seconds. These mobile quarterbacks, man, they always have super high time to throws. It's like they love just scrambling around behind the pocket and trying to make stuff work, and then, you know, then they suck at football. I'm sorry, it just, I, it just brings me joy. You guys know how much I, I like to pick on the Bears and everything else. I might have more disdain for the 49ers than I do the Bears, so any opportunity I get, to make fun of the 49ers. I just, I have to do it. They've, I'm sorry, but they've caused us too much pain. The Bears, I just like, dislike because they're Bears and they're constantly in our face on social media and everything else. 49ers fans, I don't see on the day to day, but they haunt my nightmares. And the fact that they shipped off Jimmy Garoppolo and are doing just like the Bears do, pretending that the guy that they shipped off was the big problem, right? Oh, we got rid of the coach and the GM, which was the problem. Now we're all better. We got this new guy. He's going to be so great. The Bears did that twice in a row. Got rid of Trubisky. We got this new guy, Fields. Everything's fixed. Nope. We suck worse than ever. Well, now we got rid of the... Now we really got rid of the problem, the coach. Now we're really going to be good. 49ers are doing the same thing. Jimmy Garoppolo is dead weight. We got this guy, Trey Lance. He's so good. Yeah, man. Oh, it brings me joy. Anyways, why don't we take a quick overlook uh, at the offense, just overall offensive grades. We'll dig into more detail in a little bit. Again, not a massive amount of really good grades, but um, five guys with 70 or higher overall grades. Caleb Jones, Tyler Davis, cha-ching, Rasheed Walker, who a lot of people are super jacked up about right now, Josh Myers, and then number one was Samori Ture. Could also throw Royce Newman in there with a 69.3 overall grade. Tyler Goodson was pretty close with his 68.4. Josiah, 67. Romeo, 66. Yash, 66. Danny Etling, 66. You know, close enough. Really bad grades as in sub-50. Dexter Williams, 48. Jawan Winfrey, 48. Jordan Love, 46. Nate Becker, 43. Other sub-60 grades, uh, Alizé Mack, 51. Travis Fulgham, 52. Sean Ryan, 52, Zach Tom, 53, John Runyon, 57. Might as well just give you the rest because there's almost nobody left. Um, Amari with a 61. I know that's going to upset a lot of people, but whatever. Again, the guy had like three plays out of 29. So Ishmael Hyman, 61, Patrick Taylor, 61, Michael Minette, 61, Jake Hansen, 63, Sal Canella, 63. There you go. Looking at the passing grades, um, Etling had a 66 overall grade. Didn't really do anything super fantastic. Um, 10 of 13 is obviously pretty great. Adjusted completion percentage of 76.9, which is the same as his completion percentage because there were no drops or throwaways or anything. 7.5 yards per attempt, no big-time throws, no turnover-worthy plays. Just moved safely down the field, completed uh, three first downs, 97.3 passer rating. Jordan Love, 
16 of 26, 61.5 uh, adjusted completion percentage, 5.7 yards per attempt, no touchdowns and a pick, zero big-time throws, two turnover-worthy plays. Um, adjusted completion percentage was 65.4 because there was one drop mixed in there somewhere. Seven first downs, 61.1 passer rating. The biggest thing with Jordan Love, though, um, I so I did sort of a play-by-play thing, and I, I left it on the laptop, so I, I'm not looking at it, but we'll, we'll do the best that we can to summarize it. Out of all his passes, the, the difference, I did this for him week one, because I was, it was the almost the exact opposite. I was really happy about Jordan Love, and then I watched him again, and I was like, eh, I don't know. And the biggest issue was, a lot of the completed passes were really inaccurate, and the receivers ended up catching it, but they kind of had to contort their body a ton, you know, digging in their back pocket, digging in their ear hole to get the ball. And so it wasn't quite as impressive, especially since the interceptions were some of those passes. It's still the receiver's fault for not coming down with it. You still have to do that. But it's also on the quarterback to deliver an accurate ball. So that was sort of when I changed my opinion a little bit. In this case, it was almost the exact opposite. Not that I necessarily fell in love with what he did, but every single one of the good passes was almost perfect. I think there were only three passes I saw that were in the catchable column as opposed to on target, which is to say, out of, I don't know, 28 passes, and I think two-thirds of them were accurate, something like that, a little less than two-thirds. So let's say 18 passes out of 28. Three of them were considered catchable, so a little bit off target, but catchable. That would make 15 out of 18 good passes were like, could not have been any more pinpoint. So that was really impressive, and that was a massive shift from week one. The issue, though, was, was sort of twofold. Number one, Almost all of his really accurate passes were six yards or less. In fact, about half of, almost half of his passes, I think, like 48%, were six yards or less, and a massive portion of those were actually behind the line of scrimmage, which is to say, okay, whoop-de-doo. I mean, l- listen, I made fun of Justin Fields for it. Bears fans were bragging about the guy, and look how accurate he is and everything. I'm like, dude, all of those passes are behind the line of scrimmage. So... Got to be consistent with this stuff. I'm not going to praise Jordan Love for it and trash Justin Fields for it. That doesn't make any sense. Here's the other thing, though, and and PFF kind of backs this one up as well. Deep passes, as in 20 yards or more. And, and again, he's been so... Last week, he was unbelievably accurate, and the box score wasn't... This is, I keep seeing Packer fans say stuff like this. For this week, well, it's because I trust my eyes, or I trust Matt Lafleur, or I trust Aaron Rodgers, not the box score. The box score was correct. What did the what, what? Where was the discrepancy this week with the box score? Where there wasn't. The box score is a perfect representation of what we watched. You can't just say oh, it's just the box score. You can't say that every week. Sometimes the box score is correct. Sometimes it's not. This week it was. Anyways, passes of twenty yards or more. Six attempts. Zero completions. Not only zero completions, zero accurate passes. His adjusted completion percentage was zero. Not one accurate pass on a pass 20 yards or more. I think from what I saw, the deepest pass that he completed that was accurate was 17 yards. But again, to, to, to not see that as a kind of a step back from last week when he had a 95 overall grade, his, he had uh, two big-time throws which represented 28.6% of his passes, an adjusted completion percentage of 83.3%. I mean, in both weeks, he threw the ball six times. Last week, five of them were accurate. This week, zero of them were accurate. So there you go. Um, I know pressure was also kind of to blame for a lot of his play, but really he wasn't under pressure very much. Um, six of his dropbacks, he was under pressure. 
four attempts, one completion for one yard. However, 22 of his dropbacks, he was clean. He was 15 of 22 for 147 yards and a pick, 50.9 overall grade with no pressure. So again, I, I, I don't know what else to say about it. He had some nice passes, like three or four of them that were somewhat down the field, but it was just not a great day. Looking at the wide receivers, um, Tyler Goodson actually had not the highest overall grade, but the highest receiving grade. Five targets, five receptions, 26 yards. And again, I, I think Jordan Love did the, the running backs in particular a lot of favors because, because of those pinpoint passes. Remember in week one, the running backs looked terrible. They had a bunch of drops. Well, the passes were also pretty inaccurate. These were right on the money and, and you end up with Tyler Goodson, five for five for 26 yards. He added 8.4 yards after the catch per reception. His average depth of target was negative 3.2 yards. Longest reception was 13 yards. One missed tackle forced, one first down. Next highest receiving grade was Samori Ture. Six targets, uh, excuse me, eight targets, six receptions, 83 yards. Should have been more than that, but, you know, cheating and whatnot. Um, Somewhat interesting, Ture was actually 81.3% from the slot. So he is, um, I mean, I know he's a slot guy, but he's, he's pretty much a pure slot guy. Mari was only 50%, which a lot of that probably has to do with him being in the backfield kind of significantly, I guess. But um, still, Amari's moving around the field a little bit more. Eight snaps out wide, 10 snaps in the slot compared to Samori Ture. Six snaps out wide, 26 snaps from the slot. But um, 2.77 yards per route run is the highest of any receiver. Three yards after the catch per reception. Average depth of target was almost 10 yards, 9.8 yards down the field. Longest reception, 23 yards. For those of you saying, hey, Jordan Love, I thought didn't complete any 20-yard passes, he didn't. This is catch and then run for however many yards after the fact. It counts as a reception. I'm talking air yards, the ball travel, not like a, you know, 14-yard pass, and then he runs for six more or whatever. Um, Contested catches, he was 0 for 1. Two missed tackles forced, four first downs, 107.8 passer rating. Romeo Dobbs had the next highest receiving grade at 65.9. Three targets, two receptions, 13 yards. 20% 20% from the slot, 80% out wide, 1.5 yards after the catch per reception, 1.3 yards per route run. He was one for one in his contested catches, which is actually something I'm curious about how he's been doing so far on contested catches. He's two of four, so there you go. Actually, no, it doesn't have week three up yet, so he is three of five. He's actually three for, uh, three, for three the last two weeks. But uh, without going through every single one of these, Hyman was the next highest, then Tyler Davis. They're all kind of just sitting in the 60s and whatnot. Juwan Winfrey was the one that really, and if you wanted to give Jordan Love any credit or, you know, try to dismiss a little bit of this, it should be noted that just about every bad pass was to Juwan Winfrey. And as I've said before, when you look at MVS and Aaron Rodgers, when all of Aaron Rodgers' passes seem accurate, but every single pass to MVS seems inaccurate, maybe it's MVS's fault. Maybe Juwan is... I don't, I don't mean, I don't know that it's necessarily his fault, but I don't know, maybe they don't have a good rapport, gauging the speed kind of a thing. Maybe if it was Romeo Dobbs, he could have hit him in stride. I don't know. I'm not sure exactly what, what the issue is, but it is, it is worth noting, right? Five for five to Tyler Goodson, six of eight to Ture, two of three to Dobbs, one of one for Hyman, one of two for Davis, two of two for Sal Canella, four for four for Amari Rogers, three of three for Patrick Taylor. He was 0 for 1 for Josiah, 0 for 1 for Mac, 0 for 1 for Becker, uh, 1 for 2 for Fulgham, but 16% for Jawan Winfrey? That's pretty low. But those are also all his deep shots, so, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's just something to mull on if you care on mulling anymore about that issue. Um, 
Other slightly interesting notes, now that it probably isn't going to matter, but Sal Canelo was actually the second most from the slot, 70% of his snaps. Again, that's just kind of what Sal is. Still upset that we didn't get to see more of him. And I doubt, I mean, I don't even know if he's going to make the practice squad or not, but I was intrigued, I guess. It's actually kind of interesting if you look at average depth of target. Anybody that had an average depth of target of more than 20 yards, it's Juwan Winfrey, Josiah DeGuara, and Alizé Mack. One for eight. So, I don't know, just saying. Uh, the one drop they have is Nate Becker. So they are putting that on the tight end, which, again, makes sense. I mean, he, again, he's been pinpoint accurate to everybody else. A tight end that has no experience uh, was his one quote-unquote bad pass. I have no problem saying that that's probably the, the tight end, probably not running exactly where he should. I still don't understand why you don't just throw it at him, but whatever. Um, other contested catches, Travis Fulgham caught his one contested catch, as did Amari Rogers. So you got three guys there with contested catches, which is pretty great. Missed tackles, Sal Canella again, doing a great job with that. He forced more missed tackles than anyone um, while only catching two passes. He had three missed tackles forced. Um, Samori with two, and then Tyler Goodson with one. Highest passer rating was actually Ishmael Hyman, 108.3. As far as rushing grades, again, nobody really graded out super great. Um, Danny Etling had the highest rushing grade at 62.7, Tyler Goodson 62.6. Everybody was fairly average. The lowest was Dexter at 54.7, which I can't even really argue with as much as it makes me sad. Um, Patrick Taylor actually had the most yards per attempt at 4.9, Tyler Goodson at 4. He obviously had his one great touchdown run, but as I said, that was a 24-yard run. He had 28 yards in this game, which is to say his other six carries went for a combined four yards. So I know a lot of people are going to be like, how could you not grade Tyler Goodson really well when he had that great run? That's probably how. But uh, Amari Rogers at 5.7. Jordan had five. The only guy that really struggled, Dexter Williams, 2.3 yards per attempt. Uh, yards after contact, Tyler Goodson, 3.29, Patrick Taylor, 3, Dexter, 2.33, Amari, 1.67, not really breaking a ton of tackles out there. Missed tackles, Tyler Goodson, forced 3, Dexter, 1, Patrick Taylor, 1. Carries over 10 yards, Goodson, Taylor, and Amari Rogers each had 1. First downs, Patrick Taylor got 2, Danny, Amari, and Tyler Goodson each had 1. None of them had any penalties. And then Blocky's going to be a little bit tricky because, again, PFF is kind of stupid, so I got to take this, um, you know... I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to explain. They don't have it up, but you can kind of sneak your way around and, and sort of find it. So what I'm going to do with the offensive line, rather than maybe what makes the most sense, is look at who had the highest overall offensive grades. Do it in that order. So for starters, Josh Myers. Um, Josh Myers, 17 snaps, exact same as last week. 71 overall grade. So so for this the season. I think Myers has been quite good. His pass blocking grade week one was rough. His run blocking grade week two was rough. This week, 71 run blocking, 78 pass blocking. Again, that's perfect. 93 run blocking grade week one is awesome. But just give me that consistent. Give me 70s every single week. I love that. Just being solid as a run blocker and pass blocker. We've all seen the highlight video of that touchdown run where he just levels a guy. I love it. But seven run blocking snaps, 10 pass blocking snaps. Zero pressures. In fact, Josh Myers has not given up a single pressure this entire preseason. Obviously, all 70 of his snaps came at center. So um, I was planning on doing a recap in another episode, but I'm, since it's right here, I want to see it. I want to say it. I think that's a solid outing for Josh Myers. Overall, 85 overall grade, 88 run blocking, 61 pass blocking. And again, as bad as that sounds, 77.7 and 78.5 the last two weeks. 
And actually, PFF is messing with me right now. They, they still don't have some of these up. So we're going to be jumping around a little bit. Next up, we got Jake Hansen. I guess they got the centers done. I don't know. Hansen again, center and right guard. They don't really split up grades based on where you played. I wish they did. That would be obviously very helpful, but whatever. Um, 63 overall grades, 66 run blocking, 78 pass blocking. For context, as far as overall, that's pretty consistent. 64, 72 last week, and then 63. Run blocking, 67. I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world. He's been much better at that the previous week, 72 and 73. The really exciting thing, his pass blocking grades since week one, 54, 63, and then 78. I think that's that's something to get super excited about. Now, I know some people have mentioned that he's probably won the right guard spot. I'm skeptical of that. Again, because I just think they really like Royce. But also, I mean, the pass blocking, not that Royce has been necessarily dominant, but that that kind of makes me a little bit nervous. Even though you had one good week this past week, you know, still. Um, he's given up two pressures. Both of them were hurries the past two weeks, one in week two and one in week three. Not the worst thing in the world, and I don't know if that came at center or guard. I would guess guard, but I don't know. But on the uh, the preseason, overall solid, 69.8 overall grade, 76.8 run blocking, 65.5 pass blocking, and again, by far his best pass blocking effort came this past week. The other center is obviously done because, you know, uh, Michael Manette, obviously basically zero chance of making the uh, active roster. We'll see about the practice squad. I would kind of guess not, but at the same time, how many interior guys are they going to have on the practice squad outside of Manette? I don't know. But uh, he's been very consistent. He's a much better pass blocker than run blocker, but over the three weeks, overall grade 63, 60, 61. Run blocking 62, 59, 67. Pass blocking 75, 68, 80. So uh, overall, overall 63.5 on the preseason, 66.6 run blocking and an 81.2 pass blocking grade, which, I mean, if you want to earn a spot on the roster and you have to be really good at one thing and not super great at the other, 100% you want to be a pass blocker. Zero pressures given up on his 45 um, snaps, 24 of which were pass blocking. Every snap he took was at center. So we'll see. I mean, it, it's a big jump. In Arizona in 2021, his preseason grade was a 23.9. He had a zero, zero pass blocking grade with Arizona. It is an 81.2. So, you know, it's preseason and it's a, these are all small sample sizes, but I don't know how you don't give a massive round of, the, of applause to the offensive line coaches and coordinators that we have with this team, which obviously if the Packers get any credit for anything, that's the thing. But it really is just amazing what this team does with offensive talent. I mean, every time you look at it, you're like, okay, well, we got these guys. We brought in a few guys. Maybe somebody will be good, but probably not. Zach Tom has been phenomenal. Jake Hansen has continued to make strides. Michael Manette, night and day from what he was in Arizona, even if he's a cast-off for this team. Sean Ryan will get to, but every reason to believe, even if he's falling behind, that he's going to grow. Yash is an unbelievable success story. Rashid Walker comes in day one and is impressing everybody. Again, small sample size, but I just I wouldn't have expected it. The guy's been hurt the whole time. He hasn't played. He's a seventh-round pick. A little bit stiff or whatever you're thinking. Hey, he's gonna. He's not going to do it. He did. And he played a ton. It's not like, well, he just came out in the fourth quarter and beat like four guys. He played more than anybody. Caleb Jones is another one. You look at his height, you look at his weight, and you're like, ha, ah, that's kind of funny. I'm sure he's going to have a couple pancake highlights, and that's it, and he's going to be terrible. No, he's been actually pretty good. I don't know if you trust him out there against, you know, premier pass rushers at right tackle or whatever, but um, massively exceeded my personal expectations. Um, John Runyon, a little bit of a rough week three. 
he's, as I've said, Runyon is unbelievably predictable in terms of subpar run blocker, elite pass blocker. Kind of took a step back. He allowed one hurry, which is uncharacteristic for him. Possibly just came, I mean, not possibly, obviously. He only played 17 snaps, so he got pulled into... So this was against starters. He allowed one pressure against the Chiefs starters, and the Chiefs have been kind of terrorizing some people up front. Remember them when they did that to the Bears, just absolutely embarrassed. I forget who it was. It was uh, Schofield, the, the interior guy that they brought in, just walked him right into Justin Fields. But anyways, a um, little bit of a step back. 81 uh, pass blocking grade week one, 81 week two, 67 this week. Not terrible, but, you know, whatever. Run blocking over the three weeks, 59, 67, and 54. So this was his lowest, but still kind of on par for John Runyon, I guess. Overall on the season, 67 overall grade, 60 run blocking, 81.2 pass blocking. And remember, he's one of the guys that gets pulled after 17 snaps. So it's, you know, it's not like, well, this is all you can do in the preseason. Well, it's 17 snaps every week against starters. And yeah, he got pushed around. You know, when, when you only get 10 pass blocking opportunities and allow a hurry, it's going to be kind of hard to recover and get a great grade. Not impossible, but you know, a little tricky. By the way, I mentioned that this is what John Runyon did, but this is what John Runyon did in the regular season. You want to talk about continued growth with, with offensive players in the preseason last year? He had a 46 pass blocking grade. This year, 81. So that is obviously an incredible improvement from John Runyon. Um, Yash Nyman, very consistent through the preseason, um, almost identical to week two. Almost identical amount of snaps, 36 last week, 34 this week. Um, but a 69.2 run blocking grade became a 66.9, pass blocking 82.5, 82.3. So this week, 66.7 overall grade, 66.9 run blocking, 82.3 pass blocking grade. He played all 116 snaps at left tackle this preseason, 68.5 overall grade, 68.1 run blocking, and a 78, uh, 70.8 pass blocking grade. Week one was rough, but the next two weeks kind of solidified um, at the very least, again, very good pass blocker. He also did not give up a single pressure this past week. He had in both of the last two preseason games. Overall, he gave up three pressures, including two hits, one in week one, one in week two, and one hurry, which was in week one. That was, again, the week that he had a poor pass blocking grade. If we look at Mr. Rashid Walker, 83.5 pass blocking grade, which was the third highest on the team this week. Basically, overall, the, the team... Really good pass blocking, run blocking, eh. But um, yeah, 35 snaps as a pass blocker, left tackle, zero sacks, zero hits, zero hurries. A lot of people are making a big deal about that, but that's not super uncommon. Most players, most of the time, do not give up pressures. In fact, only three offensive linemen gave up uh, pressures, hurries in this case, in this game. That would be Hanson, Runyon, and uh, Sean Ryan. Run blocking, not as impressive. 57 overall grade on 14 snaps. And again, overall, that culminated to a 71.4 overall grade. So that's also his preseason grade because, you know, that's all he did. Uh, Who's next? Caleb Jonesy. Mr. Caleb Jones, who everyone is convinced had a horrible day today. Uh, Zero sacks, zero hits, zero hurries given up. 86.8 pass blocking grade. Run blocking was a 56.6. 71.1 overall grade. He was actually our fifth highest graded player. Royce, again, 78.3 pass blocking grade. No sacks, no hits, no hurries given up. 62.7 run blocking grade, so kind of middle of the pack. Zach Tom is kind of interesting because his overall grade was not great because he had the third lowest run blocking grade, which is a 54.8, which is basically average. 
And again, this happens every week where the grades don't seem to make a lot of sense. I don't know how you get to where you're going, but again, if you're interested in the individual parts, uh, 56 run blocking is basically average. His pass blocking grade was an 87.4. He had the highest pass blocking grade of anybody on the team. Next highest was Caleb Jones. And you guessed it, no sacks, no hits, no hurries given up. And then finally, Sean Ryan. Now, for context, the last two weeks, pass blocking grades 15.3 and then 17.6. This week, not super great in terms of where he ranked. He ranked ninth, but again, the whole team was pretty fantastic. Sean Ryan actually had a 77.9 overall grade, which is a massive jump. It's just one game, but so what? I'll take it. (laughs) Unfortunately, the run blocking was dead last at 41.8 overall, but I mean, if we got to change something up, fine. His run blocking has actually gone backwards every single week, 73.8, 63.7, and then again this week, a 41.8, lowest on the team. But um, again, I will will take that as progress. But anyways, in terms of what all this means, it it doesn't change a ton, other than I'm, I'm glad to see again Zach Tom, in my opinion, had a good day. Apparently the run blocking was a little bit different. He was playing different positions against a different team with limited opportunities, and still dominates at uh, one of the most important things, which is pass blocking. Sean Ryan, again, he shows growth, but it doesn't change the fact that he's probably going to get kept whether he had a good day or a bad day. The interesting dynamic is Samori Ture, and I keep trying to tell myself, don't get wrapped up in the hype. They're not going to keep him just because he had one good day in preseason. Let's let's do this for for just a, a tidbit of context here. We're basically super jacked up and excited about Samori Ture, and we know that he's never going to clear waivers because he got 83 yards and zero touchdowns this week. Do you know who Michael Bandy is? I didn't know about him until about five seconds ago. You know who absolutely knows who Michael Bandy is? The Chargers do. Michael Bandy is an undrafted free agent. In his two weeks so far, he had seven receptions for 73 yards and a touchdown, and then eight targets, eight receptions for 69 yards and a touchdown. In two games, 18 targets, 15 receptions, 142 yards, and two touchdowns. Would he clear waivers? If he and Samori Ture are next to each other, let's say they both get cut, both teams want to put him on the practice squad, who gets picked up first? Ture because he's better? How do you know? You've never even heard of Michael Bandy. Just like Chargers fans have never heard of Samori Ture. Why does Samori get picked up and Bandy doesn't? Because he's a seventh-round pick compared to an undrafted free agent? Samori Ture was, what, our fourth seventh-round pick? He was like the last guy picked in the whole draft. He's basically an undrafted free agent. So again, why would Samori Ture go before Michael Bandy? And I don't know that Michael, I mean, maybe he's going to be on the 53 anyways, and this is a moot point, but I'm just saying as an example, who would go, Bandy or Ture? Who would the Bears pick up first, Bandy or Ture? Why not Bandy? By the way, it's year two for Bandy, so he's got more experience. He's got growth, he's got experience, he's seen more in the league. What about Tim Jones? You know who Tim Jones is? Jaguars fans know who Tim Jones is. Six foot one, two oh two, undrafted free agent. Last week, five targets, five receptions, seventy yards. So far this preseason, fourteen targets, eleven receptions, one hundred and sixteen yards. Tim Jones is probably not going to make it on the fifty-three. Who's going to get picked up first, him or Ture? What about Kwame Lassiter, Cincinnati Bengals, third string guy, very unlikely to make the fifty-three. Kwame Lasseter last week, seven targets, seven receptions, 91 yards. That's more than Ture had. Bengals fans, I'm sure, are over there screaming, how do we not get him on the, on the squad? We can't let him go to the 53. He's never going to make it. You see what I'm saying? This is what I mean about us being in a bubble. 
we only assume Samori Ture is out there and, and he's never going to get picked or he's going to get picked up because we assume nobody else has a Ture on their team. And I'm telling you, half the league has a Ture on their team. Now, maybe half of those teams end up keeping their Ture, which whittles it down, but it's 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 not as though we have the one seventh round slash sixth round slash undrafted free agent hidden gem that nobody else will ever have or ever see again. And and 31 other teams are just salivating at the chance to get this amazing elite player. I acknowledge I'm excited about him. I like him. I'd love to find a way to get him on the team and see if maybe he can be super special something. I don't know. You never know. But I think we overestimate how much everybody loves Samori Ture and underestimate the fact that, again, half the league has a Samori Ture on their team. How about Lance Mc... Oh, did I say... I did Lance McCutcheon already, right? I think. 183 yards and two touchdowns for the Rams. Maybe I didn't. Third string guy for the Rams. Week one, six targets, five receptions, 87 yards and two touchdowns. Week two, six targets, five receptions, 96 yards. In two games, 12 targets, 10 receptions, 183 yards and two touchdowns. Third string, undrafted free agent. Wide receiver eight for the New York Giants is Alex Bachman, 2019 undrafted free agent. This past week, 12 targets, 11 receptions, 122 yards and two touchdowns. How about Tom Kennedy for the Lions? Third string guy. Week one, 11 targets, eight receptions, 104 yards. Week two, seven targets, five receptions, 24 yards, two touchdowns. So far this preseason, 18 targets, 13 receptions, 128 yards, and two touchdowns. They've all got third stringers that are crushing it out there against against third string defenses and, and fan bases going, we can't let them go. This is going to be the craziest thing ever. A lot of these guys are going to get cut. A lot of them are going to float out there. And yeah, some of them probably will get picked up. Maybe a couple. I don't know. But it's 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 not as if Ture is the only one and he'll never survive out there. That's all I'm saying. And this is what I've got going through my head. Because I don't know. Again, I wouldn't have thought Cole Van Landen wouldn't have been able to make it back. And apparently he wouldn't. So I'm not saying he's definitely going to make it back. But I'm just trying to get the full picture displayed out there for everyone. He had a great day, and it inspired a lot of confidence that maybe he can be a good offensive player. But I don't know that that necessarily means week one, he's going to play a significant amount of snaps with Aaron Rodgers, with this offense, and have a good enough under... I have no idea if this guy's caught up on the offense or not. For all I know, he doesn't know jack squat about this offense. Probably doesn't because he's a rookie. Doesn't have Aaron Rodgers' trust. Doesn't fully understand the offense. Don't want him out there when you're trying to make checks and do all these kinds of things. And we've never really seen him against top-tier corners. But we know, we know, we know we got to get him out there because he's special. He's this, he's that, he's the other thing. Or we like what he's doing. We'd like to keep him around, stash him, develop him, and maybe someday he'll be something something kind of special. And so we release him, we bring him back on the practice squad, and if by some chance he gets picked up, which is still in my mind somewhat unlikely, then I guess good for him. Those are kind of the options that I'm torn between. And I just can't imagine them saying we have to keep him. Could be wrong. And by the way, if they do, that's going to change my opinion of Samori Ture because a lot of the things that I don't know in terms of his understanding with the offense and everything else, I'm just assuming is low. If they're saying we want him on the offense right now, catching passes from Aaron Rodgers, that kind of fills in some of those blanks and it's all good news. So I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm just excited to wait and find out. I'm, I'm kind of racking my brain. It sounds like I have a definitive idea when I'm, when I'm telling you things about what I think is going to happen, but I don't. I'm just giving you the, the, the devil and the angel on the shoulder. I don't know which way to go with, with any of these things. I really don't. But 
again, all I can do is try to get as full of a picture as I can and then go from there. And I'm, I'm still leaning toward Turi goes to practice squad. I think they try to get him on practice squad and, and I think he gets there. Maybe it's one of those things where he gets carried because somebody else gets put on pup. And then when they return, we stash him because then it's, it's keeping him a little more secure. I don't know. Anyways, I'm, I'm going off the rails here, but the point is a lot of this doesn't mean as much as it would for a regular season game. I'm, I'm excited to see growth. I'm not as worried about a slightly bad performance here or there or whatever. It's, there's so many weird variables in preseason. So growth is amazing. It's awesome. The extra reps are important. How many snaps you got is great. And then other guys that are just making it really hard, like Ture, to just discard him and be like, nah, practice squad. I'm just, I'm just happy they're doing it. Same with Tyler Goodson. Yeah, the rest of his runs were garbage, whatever. Still, that one, although, again, I could have gotten probably 15 yards on that run, but still finishing strong with the spin move and everything else. They got the kick return opportunity. It's almost as if not only are the players making it hard, but the coaches are too. And, and good for them for doing that. They should make it hard on themselves. Seems like a done deal that we're going, you know, with Tyler or whatever. Okay, well, guess what? Now we're going to put, or with Taylor, I mean, now we're going to put Tyler back there and have him kick, uh, return some kicks. Anyways, why don't we take a break here, come back, take a little gander at the defense, see what they gone and did, and um, we'll see how the Twitter polls ended, and we'll get out of here. Take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's do this thing. Um, 
Again, Packers not super great. In fact, the grades are actually kind of really bad. Um, only two good grades on the whole defense. We could throw Chris Barnes in there with a 69 overall grade, but Quay Walker, 71.1. Devontae Cross, 88. That's pretty much it. Um, nine of the 23 players had average or better grades. That is to say, 14 of 23 were below average. Seven of 23 were below 50. Four players were actually below 40. And Mr. Ty Summers was in the 20s. I know. I know. I get it. I'm telling you, I've been observing him as a terrible linebacker this whole time. I'm not talking about his contributions as a linebacker. By the way, McDuffie was (laughs) second from the bottom. So the worst uh, on defense, 28 overall grade for Ty Summers, 30 for Isaiah McDuffie, 34 for TJ Slayton, who I swear after week one, man, I I was so excited week one. He crushed everybody. And then the last two weeks has just been not good at all. Um, Keyshawn Nixon with a 39 overall grade. Kingsley with a 46, Keandre Thomas, 48, Rico Gafford, 49, Jonathan Garvin, 50, Shamar Jean Charles, 54, Jack Heflin, 54. I know. How dare you? Again, 33 snaps. Zero pressures, by the way. He did have three stops and a forced fumble. That's that's in here, but uh, zero of anything else. Devontae Wyatt, 56 overall grade. Chris Slayton, 56. Ladarius Hamilton, 58. Jonathan Ford, 58. So that's that's everybody that was below average. The average guys being Ray Wilborn, 60, Micah Abernathy, 63, Sean Davis, 63, KB Nento, 65, Kobe Jones, 66, Tariq Carpenter, 66. That's everybody. So, um, again, there's, there's always minutiae here, and if you want to get hyped up about Devontae Wyatt, again, 56 overall grades, basically average, but um, Sam did a little breakdown of all his snaps. Um, again, nothing super elite, but there were a couple nice things that were in there at least being able to kind of control his guy most of the time. And by the way, Creed Humphrey is one of the better centers in all of football. He highlighted the right guard is actually a high-quality right guard. But Creed Humphrey, the center, absolutely dominant, elite, one of the top guys. And yes, he got drafted after Josh Myers, I, you know, whatever. But the biggest issue, as has been this whole time, is run defense. Highest run defense grade of anybody was Micah Abernathy with a 66 overall grade. In fact, all of the top run defenders were DBs. The only, so the, uh, of the top eight run defense grades, the only one who's in that top eight is Kobe Jones with a 60.3 overall grade. The rest are all DBs. Tariq Carpenter, Sean Davis, KB Anento, Devontae Cross, Rico Gafford, Shamar Jean Charles, and Micah Abernathy. The defensive front against the run this preseason has been kind of bad. And so, fingers crossed that uh, our starters are super dominant because we don't have a lot of depth in that category. In fact, the pass rush the last two weeks has been maybe even worse. It's been horrendous. So we don't really have depth is the problem. And I I think maybe we knew that, especially on the edge. I don't know if we knew that necessarily uh, at defensive tackle, but I do tend to think that is the case. Um, Guys that really struggled, we'll just look at sub 50 here. But Devontae Wyatt, Ladarius Hamilton, Chris Slayton, Keyshawn Nixon, Keandre Thomas... Ray Wilborn, and then Isaiah McDuffie had the lowest at a 38. He was the only sub-40. Tackling was actually significantly better this week. Almost everybody had a 70 or higher ta- tackling grade. Um, TJ Slayton, Devontae Wyatt were high 60s. But then Micah Abernathy, 50. Keandre Thomas, 29. Ladarius Hamilton, 27. Pass rush, the highest grade was a 68.9. That was Ladarius Hamilton. No sense really going through the grades because they're all basically from 50 to 69. But in terms of the statistics... Only four players had a pressure in this entire game. 
Kingsley and, uh, and Agbar had two. Chris Slayton had two. Jonathan Ford had one. Kobe Jones had one. Devontae Wyatt had the most snaps of anybody with zero pressures. 16 opportunities, zero pressures. Ladarius had 14 opportunities, zero pressures. Jack Heflin, 14 opportunities, zero pressures. Garvin, zero for eight. TJ Slayton, zero for five. And then Wilborn, Barnes, Cross, and Summers all came on blitzes and not one of them got home. So kind of disappointing the last two weeks with the pass rush and, I guess, run defense. Um, coverage, three really good grades. Ray Wilborn, 77. Quay Walker with an 80.6. And then Devontae Cross with an 82.2. Um, the not super great grades, Keyshawn Nixon, Keandre Thomas, Shamar Jean Charles, Rico Gafford, Kingsley and Agbar, which I don't care. Isaiah McDuffie with a 44 overall grade and then Ty Summers with a 28.2. Looking at the statistics, most targeted was Shamar Jean Charles. He allowed two of those to be caught for 13 yards. The longest was seven yards. So again, don't super care. I know he didn't grade out very well, but again, Shamar has never really gotten just crushed. He seems to know what he's doing generally. So I I'm comfortable with him. Quay, three targets, three receptions for 14 yards. Ty Summers, three targets, two receptions for 46 yards. Ray Wilborn, two targets, one reception, 11 yards. Micah Abernathy, two targets, one reception for two yards, but he did give up a touchdown. Chris Barnes, two targets, two receptions, 10 yards. Rico Gafford, two targets, two receptions, uh, 75 yards and a touchdown. So they're, they're putting the blame on him. Tree Carpenter, one target, one reception, six yards. Uh, Isaiah, one target, one reception, 14 yards. Keyshawn Nixon, one target, one reception, nine yards. And then Keandre Thomas and Devontae Cross were targeted once, no receptions. And Cross, one target, zero receptions, one pass breakup. So that would be why he graded out as high as he did. He wasn't covered seven times, though, so it's not like he was out there once and did a special thing. He was only targeted once, and he broke that pass up. So, um, again, overall not great. But it doesn't necessarily impact our starters. It's just a matter of who's going to really make a case for themselves. And I don't know that a ton of people did. Tariq Carpenter, I think, did. Again, solid. I mean, he had the fourth highest grade on defense and made an impact on special teams. Quay looked good, but it doesn't really make a difference. Cross, I don't know that he really has a shot, but who knows. Um, I think Isaiah McDuffie really hurt himself in this game. Because again, Ty Summers was horrible. But the whole point of Isaiah McDuffie is... He's, a, he's such a significantly better linebacker that who cares if Ty Summers is a better special teamer? Well, if Isaiah McDuffie ends up being the second lowest graded player at linebacker, then it just completely wipes that out. And now we're just left with special teams, which would be Ty Summers. Um, some more pass rush statistics. The highest pass rush win rate was Ladarius Hamilton. He didn't have any pressures. And, and this is why I kind of like win rate a little bit because, you know, in games like this where the ball's getting out kind of quick, maybe it's sort of a coverage issue, you can still see who ended up crushing people. And one of the cool things about Devontae Wyatt is he apps on, on the play in which, and you can find it on Twitter, but if, if you don't find the one I tweeted, the play in which Quay Walker lit a guy up, Devontae Wyatt absolutely destroyed the guy across from him and he was seconds away from killing the quarterback. But again, he was a quick pass. So when you look at win percentage, he was actually tied for second with Kobe Jones. So again, a little glimmer of hope there for Devontae Wyatt. He just didn't really get the opportunities to get to the quarterback, but 12.5% of the time, he did beat the guy across from him. The other really unusual thing about this is the complete lack of the true pass set pressures. It seems as though there were not a lot of true pass sets, which would tell me that there weren't really a lot of genuine opportunities for guys. 
the only players that had any wins in terms of true pass sets was Chris Slayton 28% of the time and Devontae Wyatt 16.7% of the time, meaning they didn't get a lot of... So for example, a screen pass probably wouldn't show up. I don't know if a wide receiver screen would show up. Any play in which the quarterback rolls out is not going to show up. Any double teams are not going to show up. In other words, I think it's maybe the case that in this game, there were not a lot of genuine one-on-one opportunities. That or our guys just lost pretty much all of them. Speaking of, you want to know why Jack Heflin didn't have a good grade? This is actually kind of shocking. Um, You know how many times he beat the guy across from him in 14 attempts? Zero. Not only did he not get a pressure, he never beat the guy across from him pass rushing. According to PFF, I'm sure somebody's going to want to dive into his 14 attempts and find one where he did, but according to them, zero times he beat the guy. I mean, there's other guys with zero, but Ray Wilborn, one attempt, Garvin, six, TJ Slayton, only five, and then Cross and Summers had one. He had 14 attempts. It's one thing to not be able to get to the quarterback. It's another thing to not be able to beat the guy at all. Looking at run defense, if you look at stop percentage in, in running plays, so these are tackles that are a negative play for the offense. Quay Walker and Jonathan Garvin tied for number one at 16.7%. But anyways, let's uh, let's kick it over to special teams and then we'll get out of here. Probably the most important thing we're going to save for last. Um, the guys who graded out pretty poorly, uh, I don't want to just do sub 60 because it's a ton of guys, but we'll look at guys that had significant snaps. I guess Kobe Jones, 58.4. Micah Abernathy, 57. Shamar Jean Charles, 55. Of these guys, by the way, um, I don't think Micah Abernathy has a very strong chance. A lot of people think he's locked up and everything. You know, I, I just, I don't necessarily believe that. This, maybe if he was kind of locked up, doesn't help. That's obviously assuming the Packers agree with these grades or whatever. But um, Shamar Jean Charles, I don't think it matters. He's got it locked up. Quay Walker, 52 overall grade. I mean, it's not great for us in terms of his contributions going forward, but it's not going to necessarily impact anything. Uh, Ray Wilborn, I think his only path to this roster was being a good special teamer, 52 overall grade, not great. Um, And by the way, these things do matter because you see how bad the special teams has been. So when I'm looking at these negative grades, I'm looking square at these guys going, this is your fault. And so if if we can have any hope for the future of special teams, it's because we're going to have less of these guys and more of the guys in the green. And I'm actually surprised at how much green there is, but continuing on, Ray Wilborn, 52. Rico Gafford, a 51. Again, another guy that special teams was going to be a big part of his game. I don't know that he's really proved that. Um, Juwan Winfrey, similarly. You know, I think there's a case to be made about him being a better wide receiver as it is, but special teams would obviously be very important, and he just didn't do it. Ento, again, he's a special teams guy. That's, that's his whole thing. I just said that at the beginning of the show. Ento, highest graded special teams guy. Not this week, 46 overall grade. Patrick Taylor. These are our core special teamers, and they sucked. 46 overall grade. Tyler Davis, another one. They're they're obsessed with Tyler Davis and his special teams ability. 46 overall grade, third lowest. Then Tyler Goodson, really bad for him. 44 overall grade, followed by Sal Canella. Again, didn't really expect much from him, but sucks. Guys that did grade out very well. Tariq Carpenter with a 66 overall grade. Innis Gaines with a 70, important for him. I don't think he's going to make it, but who knows. Ladarius Hamilton extremely important for him if he could be a special teamer on top of everything else. Kingsley and Agbar doesn't make a super big difference, but heck, I'll take it. And then the top two, Chris Barnes and Isaiah McDuffie. I think they changed this a little bit. Ty Summers is seventh, but that's a pretty significant difference. I don't remember it being that big of a gap, but McDuffie was solid. on. Sp- so this is where the battle becomes really tough because it, it used to be 
McDuffie is the linebacker and Summers is the special teams guy. Now, Summers is still doing a good job. And by the way, McDuffie had the highest grade, but only four times was he out on special teams. And basically, he had a tackle on two attempts. So when 50% of your attempts, you make a tackle. Not that that's a negative thing, but obviously, you're going to have a good grade. Summers was the seventh highest graded guy, and he had 17 opportunities. So I still think they view him as more of a special teamer. But again, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm so uh, torn on it. And I think that's part of the reason special teams was so bad is the core special teamers here are Summers, Wilborn, Abernathy, Kobe Jones, Patrick Taylor, Keandre Thomas, Rico Gafford, Ladarius Hamilton, and Shamar Jean Charles. These are guys that had double-digit snaps. Of that group, almost all of them were pretty terrible. Hamilton, Keandre Thomas, and Ty Summers are the only ones that were above a 60. But again, if these guys aren't there and they're not doing it, and you bring back some of the starters that do special teams, like Devondre Campbell, who was actually really good at it last year, A.J. Dillon, as much as we might not want to see him out there, guys like that are going to be doing special teams on top of just a few that we decide to keep. And again, the Packers are going to be looking at who's really doing a good job on special teams and who's not, because we don't want to see what we just watched in the preseason all through the regular season. So if you're the cause of that, you don't get to play anymore. With, you know, a couple notable exceptions, obviously. <laughs> Pretty sure Quay gets to stay on the team. But um, this is it. This is, the, this is the final. This is all the data we get to make our final 53s and our practice squads and everything. If you guys have questions, if you're trying to put yours together or just are not sure about some things, reach out and I'll try to clarify it. Um, anyways, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it at that. You guys have yourselves a good day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.